All right, up with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter. It's been exciting going through this uh, awesome book by the Apostle Peter, who was one of the very first apostles ever that Jesus chose. Um, so this is exciting. It's been a real blessing to me being able to dig into it a little bit. So we are going to read a little bit before the, the passage we're going to be looking at so we can get context. So it's like, uh, I was thinking about it um, this past week. Um, nowadays, you know, we can go on Netflix or our favorite app on TV, a lot of us are on our computer or whatever, um, iPad, and we could binge watch, you know, different series that, that we might like. And what happens is if we binge watch, when, when, it, when they say last time on whatever it is, uh, we'll be like, fast forward that, because it's all fresh in our minds. But if we only want watch one a week, then usually we'll want to watch through that last time on such and such a show, because we want to get reoriented and we want to get back into, oh yeah, that's what happened last time, so now this episode will pick up from there and it'll make sense. Same thing when we study the Word of God. We, we have to stop at some point unless you want me to preach for like seven hours or so straight, which would be difficult for both of us. So in order to get reoriented, it's good to kind of read what went before the passage so that we, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's what it's about. So that's what we're going to do this morning. And I just want to remind you why I often do that. We often do that together. So stand if you can for the reading of 1 Peter chapter 1. Our text is going to be uh, verses 13 um, two, we're going to read to 25, but we're probably only going to get through 22. So really, we'll be looking at verses 13 to 22. Um, but I want to read a little bit before that and then jump down to our text, okay? So hear God's word to us this morning, starting from verse 3. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now jump down to our passage. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you re were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, 
but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and your hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. The word of the Lord. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Amen. All right. Now, one of the first books we studied together, this is a very exciting uh, memory for me. Uh, uh, it just really brings me back to when we first started New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. And um, the second place we met right away after a few sessions at um, Charlie Costello's workplace, we met here in my house in Ventnor, where um, I'm preaching this message right now. And one of the first books we went through, other than a biblical book like Ephesians, was the great classic work by J.I. Packer called Knowing God. And you know, I am so glad we did that and that's such a foundation, a rich foundation for our little um, fellowship of the saints here in AC. And what he says at the beginning of his book is worth its weight in gold, spiritually speaking. And what he actually does is he begins by quoting from another author. See, even the best of authors quote other authors to make their point. So um, I don't have to apologize all the time when I quote. But he quotes from a gentleman named John McKay who wrote a preface on Christian theology. And I'm just going to read straight out of the book what, what J.I. Packer says, and then I'm going to show you how it connects to our passage today. Um, and let me tell you this right now. Relax. Get comfortable. I have a word from heaven. I do every week, um, and, and the meal looks different each week, but this week is an absolute buffet, and I want you to sit down, uh, get rid of distractions, grab your cup of coffee or a glass of water or tea or whatever it is, and drink in these spiritual riches that God has for us today. Okay, so this is what uh, J.I. Packer says as he quotes from John McKay. He says, John McKay illustrated two kinds of interests in Christian things by picturing persons sitting on the high front balcony of a Spanish house watching travelers go by on the road below. So picture, picture this. There's people on the balcony looking, looking down on the people walking down the road. Okay, that's what's going on here. And of course, it's a nice Spanish house, so it gives you that great European feel. The balconiers can overhear the travelers talk and chat with them. They may comment critically on the way that the travelers walk, or they may discuss questions about the road, how it can exist at all, or does it lead anywhere, what might be seen from different points along it, and so forth, but they are onlookers, and their problems are, listen, theoretical only. The travelers, by contrast, contrast face pro problems which Though they have their theoretical angle, are essentially practical problems of the which way to go and how to make it type. 
So the travelers want to know, look, it's really great you're, you're into all this theory. I need to know because I'm walking. Which way do I go? When I come to the fork, do I go left or right? I'm not really interested in theoretical possibilities. And the other question that we would ask as travelers is, look, I want to know how am I going to be able to make it to the end? I don't want to just talk about it. Um, and then he says this, balconiers and travelers may think over the same area, yet their problems differ. Thus, for instance, in relation to evil, the balconier's problem is to find a theoretical explanation of how evil can consist with God's sovereignty and goodness. But the traveler's problem is how to master evil and bring good out of it. Or again, in relation to sin, the balconier asks whether racial sinfulness and personal perversity are really credible, while the traveler, knowing sin from within, asks what hope there is of deliverance. Or take the problem of the Godhead. While the balconier is asking how one God can conceivably be three, what, soon of, what sort of unity three could have, and how three who make one can be persons, the traveler wants to know how to show proper respect, love, and trust toward the three persons who are now together at work to bring him out of sin to glory. And so we might go on. And then J.I. says this about his book, Knowing God. Now, this is a book for travelers, and it is with travelers' questions that it deals. Brothers and sisters, all of the books and the letters of the Bible, and specifically 1 Peter, is a book not for those sitting on the balcony, but for travelers, for those who want to know, how am I going to make it all the way home? Which direction should I go when I come to this fort? What do I do when I encounter this obstacle? It's a very practical book. Even though it deals with some deep, awesome theology, it's practical. And I think it's very important for us to see that as we dig into this, this awesome text um, because it really is written, Peter tells us, for those who are traveling from this present world to the life which is to come. Because those travelers have put their faith and their trust in Jesus. They have obeyed the gospel and they are now on the road. And I implore you right now, if you have not yet taken that step, to submit yourself to Christ by trusting in his finished work on the cross and in his resurrection. So this will all make sense to you. Because here's the issue for those of us who are walking with Jesus. And some of us, um, as I see you online, as I know Pete and I and, and others who are listening, uh, we've been on this road for quite a while. And we need not only a G, uh, GPS to give us directions, to direct us on the good and solid path of the way we wish to, the way in which we should go in Christ. But we also need the power or the empowerment that only the gospel of Jesus Christ can give us to continue going faithfully on that journey. And that's what we find in this passage this morning, why I, I literally want to jump out of my skin. It's so good, such great news. It's great news for believers, and it's, it's a, a call to those who don't know him yet to come join. Because those who are a part of Christ, who belong to Christ, have a glorious future. So this is what we're going to see. We're going to see, just as Peter's been continuing to give us, gospel encouragement and empowerment to keep traveling on so that we don't just survive, but we thrive in Christ. Now we're going to see this. As pilgrims here, making our way to our heavenly home, we have to do four things. Number one, we have to look forward to our heavenly home. Keep our gaze 
Keep our eyes on the prize. Secondly, we have to look up as we're on this journey to our Heavenly Father. So we look forward, we look up. Thirdly, we look back. Not to our past lives and the way we used to live when we were in ignorance, Peter says, but rather we look back to the redemption that Jesus won for us through his blood. That's the third thing. So we look forward, we look up, we look back. And then the last thing, and I'm only going to literally touch it this morning because it's going to be really a part of our whole message next time, is that we look out for one another. So we're looking forward, Peter says. We look up, we look back, and we look out for fellow travelers so that we can all make it together hand in hand because it matters. We don't want to just make it alone. It's, it's a group thing, all believers. So let's take a look at the first thing. Peter says the first thing we have to do as travelers, a very, to answer a very practical question, is we need what, what gives us that staying power on the road is we need to look forward to our heavenly home. Look at verse 13. So look at verse 13, he gives us a command. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Again, like we saw in Ephesians 6, the phrase Peter actually uses in the Greek is gird up your minds, the loins of your minds. Uh, prepare them for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And notice there why I read a little bit uh, before our text. Peter says, therefore. So it's in light of something else he said, he's going to uh, exhort us to do something. And so in light of what? In light of this, the passage before us, he told us we have a glorious future, an inheritance that can't spoil or fade, and it's reserved for us in Christ. We got that coming. So in light of that, in light of the fact we have joy in the present, even in the midst of trials, because we know there's a purpose for those trials. God is refining our faith, which is so valuable to him and should be to us. And thirdly, because we are a privileged people, because even the prophets who wrote about the sufferings and the glory of the Christ, of Jesus, even it was revealed to them that it wasn't for them that these things were revealed to them, but it was for us. So we're a privileged people. So we have a privileged past, a joyful present, and a glorious future. In light of that, here's the command. Prepare your minds for action. So here's the thing. Meditating on the great truths of the gospel, past, present, and future, in Jesus, calls for action. In other words, Peter's saying that those who are heavenly minded are poised to be of some earthly good. That's the point. If we're really heavenly minded, the way we're supposed to be, then we are not going to sit back and do nothing and say, have a case sarah, sarah type of an attitude, whatever will be, will be. But instead, we will be the most conscientious of citizens. We will be the most upright of neighbors. We will be the most loving of spouses. We will be the most evangelistic and so on. We will be the most concerned about justice and mercy and all the things that God is concerned about right here on earth, right now. And Peter's saying this, since you have all these spiritual blessings in Christ, gird up the loins of your mind, and notice what he says, being sober-minded. So what he's saying in effect is knowing who you are and where you're going shouldn't lead to lackadaisical, careless living. Instead, it should inspire you to stay awake and to stay on top of things, spiritually speaking. And notice carefully, and I quoted, uh, we have for our reading for um, our prep for worship, 
In Titus, uh, Paul says the same thing. Notice the first action he calls us to, to be self-controlled. I think it's very interesting how many times the the apostles exhort us to be self-controlled. But that is, think about it, that's the first order of business for the pilgrim on the road, home, on our way home, is here's the issue. (laughs) And I've seen it again and again, and more so in our age than ever, We want to change the world around us. We want to be world changers. And what Peter says, you want to change the world around you, how about you start with yourself by controlling your house, your own self, keeping your own house in order. You know, as I was preparing for this, I thought to myself, how are you going to go around trying to control the world around you? You know, there are people that always try to control the people around them. Hello? but they're not even controlling themselves. Peter's saying, you know better than that. You have all these glorious riches in Christ. What you need to do with all that great stuff is put it into practice by sober, careful living for Jesus in this present world. Because here's the thing, Peter knows, (laughs) he's a great pastor. He's an elder, he was an apostle. He knows the temptation we all have to give in to distraction while we're on the road. Oh, look at this pretty little thing. Then we're off the road uh, on the field somewhere, totally losing our way. He knows what it's like to give in to the numbness. In other words, to dulling the pain in our lives of disappointments and hurts by indulging in things that lead to careless and sloppy Christian living. It doesn't matter what you use to numb it, whether it's food or drugs or sex. We all know what it's like. Philosopher Johann Wolfgang von Goethe once put it this way. Let everyone sweep in front of his own door and the whole world will be clean. For all people that are self-controlled, then guess what? Now the thing is here, we always... We should be asking this question. You know, thanks for the reminder where the right road is. That's important. We need to know that. Of course, we don't be running fast on the wrong road. As, as, as Augustine said, better to crawl on the right road than to run on the wrong road. So it's good to know the right road. Uh, but the problem is, I just, in and of myself, I can't stay on it. I'm weak. I stray. Um, I got issues, <laughs> uh, as my buddy Tim Simpson would say. How do we stay the course? Well, here's the thing. Peter tells us exactly what we need to help us stay the course on the right road. And he tells us to do this, to set our hope on the grace that is to be given us in the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, keep your eyes on the prize, on that city to come, whose builder, whose foundation, whose architect is God himself. And he says, and notice it's very interesting, he says, set your hope fully. And we just sang about that, you know, build your hopes on what? Things eternal, things that last, things that no man can take away, the devil himself can't take it away, and all his minions. Set all your hope completely on something that's not going to fail you. You know, in this life, we can set our hopes on so many things that are passing, that are dying, that are fading, and we get our hopes crushed. 
What Peter's saying is, this is the hope that's so solid, it will never crush you. It's a done deal. I love how Dick Lucas puts it. Um, he says this, the whole, whole point of 1 Peter is to say, let's rethink our lives in light of the future. That's a big claim, the whole point of 1 Peter. And then he says this, this is wonderful. He says, you're doing that all the time, aren't you? What are you doing with your family? You're often, often rethinking your life in light of the future. What's going to happen when my children grow up? What's going to happen when I retire? All the time you're, you're thinking about the future, aren't you? What's going to happen then? I'll order my life in light of that. And what Peter is saying, this is what Dick is saying here, is don't stop at death, brother. <laughs> think of the future beyond death. An incredible future that people don't think about nowadays. We've been laughed out of it by the Marxists. You know, pie in the sky and all that. But there is pie in the sky, isn't there? An incomparable glory, and we ought to therefore say, in light of the future, in light of what the future is to be, I've got to order my life in light of that. In other words, I love what Dick is saying. Dick is just saying what Peter is saying. And that is our whole lives should be reordered in light of the true fact that there is a heaven. And it is waiting for those who are in Christ, who are elect, chosen, resident aliens here on this earth. As strangers here making our way to our heavenly home, I think it was Spurgeon who once said this, our hearts must enter heaven before we do. Our hearts, what, what did Jesus say? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Where's your treasure today? Where's my treasure? Is, it, is Jesus your treasure? If he is your treasure, well, he's waiting at the end. You know, people whose hearts and minds dwell in heaven often will bring a little heaven to this hellish place through thankful, Christ-like, godly living. That's what Peter wants us to do. Be self-controlled. You can show, I can show that this world's not my ultimate home, it's not your ultimate home, by living according to the values of the kingdom of heaven. We can exercise self-control knowing that we don't have to get all of our pleasure and happiness in this life. We don't have to follow my old motto before I knew Jesus, have a blast while you last. We can wait patiently for our eternal blessings in heaven. We can put others first knowing that God's not going to neglect us. He's not going to forget us. He sees what we do. And he has a wonderful future in store for us. In other words, live like the promised future is really coming. You know why? Because it is. Peter goes on to say, As obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Now, I'm going to ask you in your heart when you hear that verse, where, where, where do you go to right away? I got to be honest. Normally I go right to do not conform to the evil desires you have when you live in ignorance. And I don't think much about what he says first. As obedient children. That, my brothers and sisters, we ask about the power that we need in order to stay on the road. 
and, and to persevere in the road, Peter is reminding us of this great gospel motivation. You are a child of the king. So therefore, as obedient children, you get that. In other words, Peter gives us more great incentives to live upright and godly lives, even when hardly anybody else around us is, because we want to bless our Heavenly Father, who in His mercy adopted us as His children through Jesus. We're a part of His family. We're in. So I always think of that movie, Rudy. You ever see that movie, Rudy? You know, it's, it's such a great inspirational uh, movie. If you haven't seen it, hey, that might, and you're looking for something to watch, check it out. But I bet you've seen it. But I love, you know, all his life he's been trying to get into Notre Dame to be a football player, to be on the team. He tries all these things. He has all these, you know, ups and downs. And finally goes to uh, one of the um, tryouts. And after a tryout, I don't know how many times I tried out, I don't remember. But after this one tryout, he's in the locker room and the coach starts talking to him. The coach says to him, listen, he goes, you got to give more than 100% every single day like you did in that field today. And he starts giving him this long speech. And then, um, and you better not uh, ever be late to practice. You better come early. And then all of a sudden, Rudy stops and goes, wait a minute. If you're saying not to be late for practice, that means... I'm on the team. And the coach is like, yeah, kid, yeah, kid, you're on the team. Don't disappoint me or whatever. And he jumps out of his skin. He, he, didn't, he didn't listen to anything else. He was just so excited because finally what? He's in. And why I say you don't want to jump over that little obedient children part is because my brother, my sister in Christ, if you know Jesus, you're in. You're in the family. You got to pinch yourself. This is real. And so Peter says, as obedient children, don't live like you lived when you were ignorant, when you didn't know God, when you didn't know the truth, when you weren't free through the gospel. C.S. Robertson captures the gist of what Peter is saying here perfectly when he says this. This, this to me, uh, you know, is part of the Christian ethic. The first is an attitude of gratitude for what Jesus did for us. But then listen to what he says here. When you have given yourself to Christ, leave yourself there and go about your work as a child in his household. Isn't that what the Christian life is? It's from now on you live your life as a child in his household. That's the Christian ethic. I am living life as a Christian, as a child of the living God, fully accepted with all the rights and privileges and responsibilities thereof. What Peter's saying is live like the child of the king that you are, as obedient children. Excuse me. And of course that will mean no longer conforming to the evil desires that you had when you didn't know God, when you were ignorant of his grace and his love and of his holiness and of his ways. You know him now. So now looking back to life before we knew God, when we were ignorant and we weren't yet woke to the things of God and his heavenly kingdom in Christ, we no longer live like that. Instead, instead of doing that, Peter says, don't only look forward to the grace that'll be given you when Jesus comes, that's a great motivator, and as obedient children. But the second thing he says as obedient children we need to do is we need to look up to our heavenly father. That's of great worth. That's a very practical thing, brothers and sisters, as we walk on this pilgrim journey 
is to look up to our Father in heaven. Look at verse 15, and to thus imitate him. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I'm holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Of course. How could you not want to be like the God who did this for you, according to Peter? Caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That Father you were to be like. You were to be holy because that Father, that God, is holy. And he says, be holy like he is holy in all you do. And then Peter quotes, by the way, from the Old Testament book of Leviticus, from the law, to back up his exhortation. He says, for it is written. Scripture. And here's the thing we have to see, brothers and sisters. Just because we can't earn our salvation, just because we can't earn forgiveness of sins and a place in God's family by keeping the law because no one could do it perfectly, it doesn't mean that the law has no place in God's household. Of course it does. We still turn to it to find out what the pleasing, good, and holy will of our Father in heaven is. No, it no longer condemns us. No, we don't have to worry about the legal strictures of the law. But the law in itself is a great map to help us about what the road looks like. And we can get great uh, views. Oh, that's what this is. That's how we're supposed to walk. And Peter says, just as God tells us, your father tells us in Leviticus, to be holy because he's holy. Be holy in all you do. That's the conviction, isn't it? In all you do. Not just in front of your pastor. Not just in some things where you may feel like being holy in certain areas. Oh, I'm, you know, but in all that we do. And then verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Now, there's a particular aspect of our Father's holy character that should cause us to live our lives here as strangers, once again, as sojourners, in reverent fear. And that's this. Our God is fair. And he's impartial when he judges each person's work on earth. In other words, God doesn't play favorites. We better live our lives before him in reverent awe and in fear. Now, being a child of God is incredibly freeing, as we saw earlier, a couple minutes ago. But Peter's telling us here, don't mistake the father's love for fatherly indulgence. He doesn't spoil his children, but he treats his children fairly. And so we are to, to live in reverence and awe of our Heavenly Father. So as we live our lives as strangers here, pilgrims journeying toward our heavenly home, we look forward uh, to the hope, to the grace that's going to be given us when Jesus is revealed. We look up to the Father who is holy to be imitate him, be holy like he's holy. And thirdly, we look back to our precious redemption. Listen, it only stands the reason that if the Holy Spirit here through 1 Peter wants to remind us 
and because he wants our minds and our hearts to continually dwell upon the internal, eternal inheritance that awaits us in heaven. And he wants us to meditate on the character of our Father in heaven, that he would then draw our attention to the great event in the past that secured both things. In other words, why is heaven ahead of you and waiting for you? Why can you call God your, your very own dear Father? The reason you can do that is because of the blood of the perfect Lamb of God without blemish and without defect. In other words, because of Jesus. Always what Peter says is you need to look back, not at your past life and your awful way that you lived through the empty way that was handed down to you from your forefathers, but look back to the precious, what you've been redeemed by, who you've been redeemed by, the precious Lamb of God. That's what he says right here. You have a home in heaven and you have a father in heaven because you have a savior who came to earth, died on a cross and rose from the dead and ascended back to heaven. Now that's some serious gospel motivation, isn't it? Notice here, Peter is packing us with gospel power and motivation to keep on keeping on as we journey and travel. Look at verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. This is what Pete is saying. When you're tempted to go back to the empty way of life passed on to you from your forefathers, remember how much it costs God to redeem you from that way of life. Remember how much it cost Jesus personally to give you a place at his table to bring you onto his team. It cost him the precious, his own precious blood. He was our lamb without blemish, without defect. It wasn't with the so-called precious metals of this passing world that we were liberated from our old empty way of life, but rather from the most precious, by the most precious thing in the universe. And that is the blood of Jesus. Here's the thing. Peter is saying that as we're on our road home to glory, we should not neglect thinking often, pretty much always, of the great price that had to be paid on the cross for our redemption. I, I know um, I, I bring this up a lot. Uh, I brought it up a lot in the past, but I'm going to bring it up again. Um, my, my wife has said that she, uh, and I've heard others say this as well, that they couldn't see the movie The Passion of the Christ because they couldn't bear to see what sinful man did to Jesus. And I remember when I went, uh, I remember I was with Thea, which by the way, we should be praying for her. Um, I remember her weeping out loud uncontrollably. And of course I was too when we watched the movie, especially as it dealt with the suffering and the crucifixion of our Lord. But no, the Bible doesn't command us to go to that movie. <laughs> so you're not holy because you went to that movie or less holy. Because uh, you didn't. But the Bible does tell us to dwell upon the wounds of our Savior. Dwell upon the blood he spilled. To remind us of that deep love that God has for us. And that that's worth not living like we used to live. And notice, I want to go on in the text. He goes on to write this. In verse 20, look. He was chosen, that is Jesus, before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake, 
Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so your faith and your hope are in God. Listen, Jesus is the chosen one par excellence. We are chosen in him. But he's the ultimate chosen one. He was chosen before time but was revealed in these last times. And then here is just another atom bomb of encouragement. Notice what Peter says here, for your sake. Do you notice that? Jesus was revealed these last times for you. Now look, this is what we're going to do for one second here. Open up, look at uh, 1 Peter 1. And I want to show you something that should amaze you because when it hit me, I thought, man, this will preach. This will preach. So go to 1 Peter 1. Sorry, my Bible wasn't turned to it. 1 Peter 1, and I want to just point out a few verses. You're going to see this. Look at verse 4 of chapter 1, and notice what he says. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Okay, notice that. And then if you go down, if you would, to verse 10. Then it tells us this. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was come was to come to you. And then notice, in verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but who? But you. You realize this? The awesome privilege that we have? And then it says, Peter says, another for you. Jesus was revealed in these last days for you. I don't think we can ever question the love of God, when we see how much he has given to us in Christ. And this just scratches the surface in many ways. It's hard for us to even take it all in. John Bunyan says this, he that forgets his friend is ungrateful to him, but he that forgets the Savior is unmerciful to himself. Isn't that powerful? In other words, you forget your friend you're not being nice to your friend. You forget Jesus, you're hurting yourself. While we're on this journey, we look ahead to the glory to come. We look up to our Father in imitation of his holiness. We look back at the redemption of Jesus. And lastly, and very briefly, we need to look out for our brothers and sisters in Christ, our fellow pilgrims on this pilgrim journey. Look at verse 22. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. As strangers here on this earth traveling toward our true home, the fellowship, the communion, and the encouragement of our fellow travelers is vital. We need each other. We can't afford to be shooting friendly fire at one another because if we're going to make it to the end, this is a whole corporate thing. This is not an individual race. This is a race where each person, Peter will say later, must use whatever gift they have for the edifying of the brother and sister. We're going to look at that. We're going to pick it up next week. So I'm going to conclude with this. Let me simply ask you this. Does this look like the traveler's roadmap that you've been following on this pilgrim journey? 
It's convicting to me. Is this is the road? Is this the roadmap I've been looking at? Keep my eyes forward. Keep my eyes up. Looking back at the cross and looking out for my brothers and sisters. Is that the roadmap? Because if it isn't, we need to readjust. We need to refresh. We got to update our Google Maps, our GPS, as it were. And in particular, are you rearranging your life today in light of every believer's glorious future? It's very strengthening, isn't it? And convicting. Are you looking up to your Father in Heaven's holy character to help inform you and transform your own character in life? How does, it, how does knowing that it wasn't with perishable things such as earthly metals and gold that you were redeemed, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, thrust you into the world to live your life as a stranger here in reverent fear? That, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is how those who have set their hopes fully on the grace to be revealed when Jesus comes again, that's how they live. Not, not as endless dreamers who neglect life right here and now, but as obedient children. Now, I can't wait to hear what Pete, Peter says next week. I need it, and you need it, and I pray to the Lord you'll tune in next week uh, to be fed of the richest affair because if this is God's holy inerrant word, you know, men are like the grass, you know, like the flowers of the field, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but what is forever? The word of the Lord. That's what we heard today. I pray you embrace it with all that's in you for the glory of Jesus, for the good of your soul, and so that you can go and tell the world in excitement um, that they could be a part of the team if they come to Christ by his grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this living word. We thank you that uh, heaven and earth will pass away, but your word, Jesus, will never pass away. And so we ask that you would help us to uh, feast on it, to embrace it, to live according to it, uh, putting our full trust um, in you and in the grace, putting our full hope in the grace that will uh, be given us when you come the second time to redeem us body and soul. We pray in Jesus' name, your name, Jesus, for your glory. Amen.